All right, we are live. What's up, guys? So um, just to let you know what's going on here, obviously, you see me talking into the camera. Once again, it's been a long time here on TNC. This is um, a test run for live TNC. We got all the things set up here. Obviously, I'm not in the studio yet that I'm building at my new house. I'm here in my apartment, as you see a white wall behind me. But we're just getting things set up, and I want to test out for a few weeks before we uh, you know, get into the studio. So we are recording this live, but it's going on a private feed, and then we're gonna upload it later for you guys to watch. If everything goes right with this test, then starting next week, TNC will be live. We don't have the call-in feature yet, but you guys will be able to chat with me, and then um, I got a monitor right here. I can see your guys' chat, and we can go back and forth so we can have a little bit of interaction during TNC every week. Uh, more about that to come, but it's going to be 7 to 8 p.m. That's the scheduled time. Sometimes it might go long, but 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be 4 to 5 Pacific time. And uh, yeah, so we're live, baby. So cool. This is very, very cool. And um, yeah, check out the gun show. Boom! Ho! Somebody call the police. There's a lot of guns in here. We need some gun control. Okay, I'll stop screwing around. It's just really cool. I'm looking at myself in the monitor here. Okay, anyway, before we get started here, TNC 160, the 160th episode of The Neutral Corner. I'm your host, Michael Montero for BoxingMonthly.com and Boxing Monthly Magazine. And before we get started, I want to wish my friend Nigel Hins happy 40th birthday, brother. Uh, he turned 40 years old on February 23rd. He asked me for a birthday shout out. He's in Nottingham, England. Nigel, hope you had a great 40th birthday, my friend. Hopefully you didn't drink too much. Actually, yeah, I hope you drink a lot and had a lot of fun. I'm joining the 40 Club in a few months myself. I can't freaking believe it. If I can ever get my house together. You guys, uh, throughout the show here, you might notice various wounds on my hands. <laughs> from from uh, I have one here right in the middle of my hand. Like, Jesus. Uh, yeah, so anyway... Uh, news and notes. So uh, another thing, guys, just to let you know, if you're watching the video here, the video that we're going to do live on YouTube, you're not going to hear the typical music in the breaks and everything like that. It's just going to go live and we're going to plow straight through, right? The audio podcast, though, we're going to take this, we're going to take the audio and load that up to iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, you know, Spotify, all those platforms, and we'll edit it. And there you'll hear the typical podcast it's going to have you know the intro music and it's going to be broken up into our different sections with the music and all that stuff that you guys are used to live video version here on youtube just going to go right through and depending on what happens with the chat we might break halfway through a segment i might go to the chat and answer some questions go back to the segment we'll just feel it out and see what comes natural all right and it's, it's going to be a process so uh you know bear with me as we go through this but Today, I wanted to, um, I asked you guys on Twitter for some questions for this episode of TNC, and a few of you sent some. I'm going to get to these real, real quick, and then we'll get into some news and notes because we got some things to discuss. But Ron Newman asked, thoughts on Money Powell? It's actually Money Powell IV. Uh, I know it's early on, but he seems like a solid prospect. So uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Money Powell uh, prospect out of, I think, Alabama. So uh, Deontay Wilder territory. Uh, fought this weekend and scored an impressive knockout. He kind of slipped the shot, pulled back, and threw a short, straight right hand. It was a beautiful knockout. Uh, definitely a good-looking prospect. And uh, had a good, solid amateur career. I think won some junior tournaments and everything like that. A regional amateur career, not really an international one. 
Very, very early on, though, if you look at the records of the guys he's fought, can't get too excited, but so far he's passed every test with flying colors. Michael Barrios asks, are we going to party in Texas or what with like four T's? What's up, Barrios? Hell yeah, we're going to party, man. I got to do some work, though. For those of you who don't know, what my man Barrios is talking about here is uh, Spence Garcia. Uh, Tiffany and I are covering that fight for Ring Magazine and for Ring TV, the website. So we're going to be there covering that fight live. That's going to be our first live fight since, man, I want to say Garcia Easter or maybe it was uh, the Canelo Golovkin rematch. I don't know, but um, yeah, man, we'll definitely, you know, I got to get some work done, baby. But after work time, it's party time. Yara Herrera asks, I know you might have it already on schedule, but I want to hear your thoughts on the Castaño Lara bout. Brian might be a paper champion, apparently, but check his amateur record and wins. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that later in the episode in the preview section. Um, we're going to find out. We're going to get some questions answered with that kid this weekend. But man, you look at that. Record, paper thin. So we'll talk more about that later. RTS Mighty Mike asks, hey brother, what's your take on why Miller Joshua need three months to train? I mean, it isn't like they're cutting weight or anything. I hate these months long buildups, build especially for heavyweight. Uh, Mighty Mike, you know, a lot of that has to do with, um, look, regardless of what they say about we need time for this and time for that, it comes down to dates, venues. And you know, with the zone, you're not really fighting for dates, but with the venue, you are fighting for dates. So originally, uh, Joshua was going to fight in April. Now it's May. Or no, I'm sorry. Now it's June. Things got pushed back, but you have to look at where they're fighting, the schedule in New York, and everything else. As far as three months of training, I think three months of training is a good camp. Some guys like to do like eight, nine weeks of training camp. I think uh, especially for a guy like Joshua, you know, Miller is honestly more experienced. He did so much sparring with the Klitschko's, but... For a guy like Joshua, a good solid three-month camp to prepare for an opponent, I like that, uh, especially because the first you know quarter to a third of camp, you're not sparring or anything. You're just getting in shape. You're working on a few things, and then you know so there's different phases of camp. So a three-month camp, I like it. I hear you. Um, it sucks that we have to wait till June to see Anthony Joshua, the premier heavyweight fight. That sucks, but. It is what it is. I mean, I've talked about that fight in the past with Joshua and Miller in past episodes of TNC where um, a lot of that came down to the executives at DAZN pushing for, for AJ to come over to the States. And the, the best way for him to make his USA debut is against Miller, New York guy in New York, and all that comes down to scheduling, man. So it, it, it just is what it is. Ringside Reporter asks... Love you guys at Ringside Reporter. That's one of the few shows I watch and listen to. Uh, do you think Darrell or his corner gamed the open scoring system and, for lack of a better term, quit the fight to get a, a decision? So uh, you guys obviously are talking about the Anthony Darrell, Avni Yildirim fight of this, uh, this past weekend, and I'll talk more about that in the review section. But uh, I don't think Darrell gamed the system in any way. I think that... Um, that fight had open scoring, so they knew they were ahead on the cards. They knew that it was favorable if the fight got stopped. But it's not as if the ring corners and you know the ring doctors in their corner are part of their team. So I don't see how you could say Darrell game the system. They knew if the fight got stopped, they'd win. So in that respect, it was an advantage for them. And in the back of your head, if you're a fighter, if you're 
Anthony Durrell and you know you got a bad cut and maybe you can milk it a little bit to the ref, but I don't see how that's gaming the system in any way. It's not like he kept saying, going to the ref saying, I can't see, you know, or whatever. He wanted to fight. It was really, really abrupt. There was, there was another headbutt. The ref pulled him over or brought the ring doctor over to look at it. But I didn't see Anthony Durrell really milking it to the ref or, you know, trying to, you know, kept touching his eye or saying, I can't see or anything. He wasn't complaining at all. And that's why at first I bitched about the stoppage on Twitter. I've since changed my opinion. I'll talk more about that later. But no, I don't think he gained the system. I just don't like open scoring. It takes away, it takes, it gives the guy who's ahead too many advantages and it takes away the suspense for the fans. And if you're a guy who knows you're way behind on the cards and there's no damn way you can win, I think that affects your psychology and how you fight. I just don't like it. Never been a fan of it. Paul asked, do you see Lomachenko moving up another weight class or stays where he's at? Paul, I mean, honestly, truthfully, Vasily Lomachenko could make not just 130, but he could make 126 right now if he really wanted to. He really, really could. 135, I really think, is going to be his limit as far as his maximum effectiveness. Actually, he's probably 130 is his best weight, 126 to 130. I think at some point he's going to go to 140 because there's going to be a big money fight for him there. And I, I honestly, I could see Lomachenko eventually getting knocked out. And I, I don't think it's going to be because he's fighting a guy who's so much better than him. I just think it's going to happen at some point. He's going to be old. He's going to get caught slipping. He does make mistakes. He is human. Uh, so, yeah, probably at 140, he's going to get knocked out. If there is some sort of catchweight fight in the welterweight division for huge money, maybe at some point he takes that. But I think he's going to be at 135 for a while. Anything above 135, it's going to have to be a big money, one-off kind of fight. Let's see. Fernando asks, it's looking like Canelo is lined up for three Triple G fights and with Danny Jacobs mixed in. Any thoughts on that run of fights? Look, Fernando, a lot of people bash Canelo Alvarez uh, for a lot of different reasons. One thing you can't say, whether you feel he won all the fights or lost them or whatever, he's fought a lot of good fighters. He fought Floyd Mayweather years before he was ready. He was really still a glorified prospect slash junior contender at that point. Guys, I know he had titles, but he had fought Austin Trout. That was the only good fighter he had faced before fighting Floyd, and he barely beat Trout. But Austin Trout's another good name. Irislandi Lara, and of course the Golovkin fights. Now it's Danny Jacobs. He's going to have a third fight with Golovkin this fall. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, so... That's a good run of fights, and there are very, very few fighters in the last five years or so who can compete with that sort of schedule and the uh, quality of opponents. Now, the controversy is a lot of those fights, people feel that he didn't win, and not just crazy wacko haters on Twitter or whatever, but actual uh, astute, knowledgeable boxing writers and historians feel he lost several of those fights, including, of course, that first Golovkin fight. And there's a lot of people who feel he lost the second fight. He's Golden Boy Promotions, Golden Goose. Golden Boy Promotions owns Ring Magazine, so a lot of people feel that some people at Ring Magazine are too favorable to Canelo. And look, I understand all that criticism, okay? But the dude has fought some of the best fighters. My criticism is, in between those great matchups, he takes soft touches. I don't mind soft touches. I mind charging $80 for a pay-per-view and $20,000 for ringside seats to fight Amir Khan, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., 
guys like that. And by the way, Ring Magazine, before I forget, um, you guys haven't got the, the latest issue here of Ring. Uh, Spence Garcia will be at that fight. But you might see down here, Devin Haney, a mention of Devin Haney. That's a mention to my latest piece in there. Look at that. So uh, I did an article on Devin Haney, spoke with him and his trainer recently. Super good guy, super smart, super ahead of the game for his age. Hasn't fought any world beaters yet or anything like that, but Devin Haney is, what, 20 years old? He's really on the right track. Do I necessarily see a future all-time great or anything in Devin Haney? No, but I do see a future attraction. I really, really do. So anyway, check out my latest piece uh, in Ring Magazine. Okay, back to these questions. Uh, Books Annalise asks, Hi, bro. What does equity in DAZN mean for Triple G Boxing and Triple G Promotions? Okay, so you're asking about what's been reported on Ring Magazine by um, a certain reporter who likes to kind of jump the gun on these stories and get it out there before anybody else, right? Uh, it, Triple G is very, very close to signing with DAZN, but I wouldn't feel comfortable yet reporting on it uh, as a done deal. It's not. And I know it's very, very close. But look, we just had Wilder Fury that was really, really close for April. Or, I'm sorry, for May. And it was so close, I felt comfortable reporting on it. And then boom, Tyson Fury hit us uh, out of left field with that deal with ESPN. It, the, the Wilder Fury rematch, it, it's still going to happen, but now it's way pushed back, right? So uh, with Golovkin, I'm not ready to speak just yet. But the, the deal apparently is going to be a multi-fight deal. And what Gennady Golovkin is, guys, I'll say this much, okay? Triple G is, he always wanted to go to the zone because obviously the biggest fights for him are at the zone. You've obviously got the, the third fight with Canelo, but you've got other middleweights there. Um, Eddie Hearn has the deal with with the uh, zone and he's got guys at 160. He's got guys at 168 like Callum Smith. Golovkin can move up, fight Callum Smith in the UK. That's a big fight over there. He's already fought in the UK. So there's a lot of different possibilities. It's not just that big, big, huge payday with Canelo. It's all these other, you know, the second tier fights are good too. PBC was probably number two in line. Their big, big fight though was with Charlo. Charlo isn't even as profitable as a fight with Billy Joe Saunders would be, or a fight with Callum Smith would be, honestly. I mean, yeah, you could have a fight with Triple G and Charlo here in the USA. It's, it'd be on a big platform. It'd be on Showtime pay-per-view. But that fight ain't going to Fox because both fighters are going to want to get paid. So that's going to go to pay-per-view here. On the zone, a fight with Callum Smith, that's just on the zone. So it's better for the fans. But over in the UK, that does big numbers. And then you have all the international money and everything. I think collectively, a fight between Golovkin and Callum Smith probably makes almost or at least damn close as much money as a fight between him and Charlo. So PBC, while they could offer a bigger platform, right? Because fighting on Fox, that's a big platform. And they could offer him several eight-figure paydays it's not going to be collectively as much as he can make over at the zone. And the same thing with ESPN, which was never really seriously in the running because they just don't have guys for him to fight. Because uh, Gilberto Ramirez, who was once possibly an option, he's moving up to light heavyweight. So um, he's going to sign with the zone at some point. But what Golovkin wants is he's already, and this is why his, he's kind of half retired here, guys. That's the truth. I know you don't want to hear that. 
He's already thinking about the business side of things. He has a promotional company. He wants to start signing guys from Kazakhstan and building them up. And he wants to do that with whoever he signs with. So with DAZONE, and there is one of the key stockholders in DAZONE is a Kazakh guy, is, is, is a friend of Gennady's from Kazakhstan. So uh, a colleague, I wouldn't even say friend, colleague. So he's trying to negotiate like, hey, man, I want a piece of this. I want to start promoting my guys on here and building my promotional company up on here after I'm done fighting. I want to talk business after boxing. So when you talk about equity, that's what it is. Is it points on fights? If, if he does promotions on there, uh, is there extra points or something like that? We don't know what any of that looks like, okay? But when you think equity, you think buying in. It's not just, hey, you're paying me to fight or you're paying me as a promoter if I put fighters on. I want a piece of this shit. I want a piece of this company. I want to be one of the stakeholders, a, min a minority stakeholder, something like that. So Gennady's really thinking, you know, he's trying to play chess here and business-wise thinking 10, 20, 30 years down the road, that's the kind of deal he's looking to sign right now. If somebody's going to throw a boatload of money at him, talking to PBC, talking to ESPN, that was just a way to leverage the zone and get them to up their money. And really, it wasn't even necessarily the money. It was the equity thing, stock in the company, stuff like that. To get, Because at first they balked at that. They said, no, 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 no. We, we ain't doing that. Now, since you started to go over to PBC and talk to those guys, they're coming back like, okay, okay, let's talk about this. What if we offer you X, Y, Z? So it's just negotiations, guys. And that's why it's taken so damn long. He's thinking beyond boxing, which tells me it's, he's being very, very smart. And more fighters should be smart like that. But he's thinking about retirement. He's thinking about what's going to happen after he's done fighting which tells me a few more fights, maybe three, four, five fights max, and that's it for Gennady Golovkin. Okay, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that a lot more in future episodes. Ken Hennig asks, question, are you in favor of the WBC headbutt rule that penalizes the unaffected boxer one point due to an accidental clash of heads where the bout continues? No, Ken, I am not, I, I, because not all headbutts are created equal. So the WBC has a rule where if I'm fighting somebody and we accidentally have a clash of heads and one guy gets cut worse than me, I get docked a point because he got cut worse. I think that's stupid. It's an unfair penalty. Accidents happen in boxing. It sucks. But I shouldn't be penalized if we have a, an accident and one guy gets hurt more than me. I wouldn't want him more penalized if we have an accident and I get more hurt than him. I just think it's a stupid rule because you can't put all accidents and fouls and everything into one little box. You have to treat each case as its own case, you know? All right, one last one here. Books and Elise ask again, how do you rank Anthony, I'm assuming Anthony Durrell. He has A. Durrell, Chris Eubank, and Yildirim among the super middleweights. Um... Super middleweight is not a very loaded division. Not at all. Durrell is definitely a top five right now. The Durham is in the top 10. Eubank, depending on the matchup and everything, he's somewhere in the middle, probably in the top 10, but I don't even know if he's in the top five right now. Um, Yildirim might be on the bubble. I think at Ring, we were talking this weekend about the ratings and if we, there was one guy we were going to bump out possibly and bring Yildirim in at 10. But he's right 
on the cusp. Uh, Eubanks somewhere between five and ten. And Durrell is now top five super middleweight. So that's it for Twitter questions. Okay, let's get into some quick news and notes. Okay, so I talked about the Golovkin thing with the zone. At some point, that's all going to be announced. It's going to come out. I, I still strongly feel he will. I'm not saying he did. Nothing's official, okay? But they are negotiating that. And you guys know if you follow me and you 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 listen to the show, I've felt all along Golovkin's going to sign with the zone. It just makes too much sense. So we'll talk more about that in the future. But uh, – between uh, Wilder and Fury, their rematch. You guys already know Fury went with ESPN and everything else. Apparently, Bob Arum has sent an offer to Deontay Wilder's side for the rematch. And I usually don't like talking about this stuff because nine times out of ten, it's just rumors. It's pure bullshit. It's just people, promoters, fighters, managers using social, social media, particularly Twitter, to promote their fighters and their events. But this is actually legit. Shelly Finkel who is one of the 8,000 people managing Deontay Wilder, uh, verified that they got a contract and they're reviewing it. Uh, So with the WBC, apparently Mauricio Suleiman said, you guys have until Wednesday night to figure this shit out. So we'll find out this week, okay? If if Shelly Finkel balks, if Deontay Wilder's side balks at that deal and they don't like it, then the WBC should get involved by the end of the week, unless Mauricio Suleiman pushes the deadline back again. We'll see. I probably see the WBC having to get involved here to make this fight happen because now Deontay Wilder is contractually a free agent. He can fight anywhere he wants, but with this big deal, Fury just signed and everything, um, usually when that kind of stuff happens, the sanctioning body has to come in and make a decision. So would not surprise me if in the end the WBC has to do a ruling and they say something like you guys each get a tune-up fight this spring and then in the fall you have to rematch or something like that we'll see what happens but world boxing super series semifinals coming together there's only one fight that isn't uh, announced yet Unier Dorticos is going to fight Andrew Tabidi in the semifinals the cruiserweights that doesn't have a venue or a date or anything yet, but that should be out very, very soon. The other cruiserweight bout between Marius Bredis and Christoph Govaki, that is done for June 15th in Riga, Latvia. You have to favor Bredis in that by decision in Latvia, but I think that's going to be a really, really fun atmosphere. Now, at uh, now we got two double headers, which I really, really like. So in Glasgow, Scotland, at 140 pounds, Josh Taylor versus Ivan Brancheck. I like that fight, and I like Taylor fighting there in Scotland. And then Bantamweights, Naoya Inoue, the monster, fighting Emmanuel Rodriguez. That is going to be uh, May 18th in Glasgow. So, look, this year didn't start with a huge bang. We're ha- we have a lot of action, a lot of fights in the schedule, but none, th- no real big fights. But May, shit's going to get cooking. May June into the summer and then into the fall, I think we're really going to have some good stuff. And uh, you just look at what we're getting within the, the span of about a month or so from the beginning of May to the beginning of June. Good stuff, man. The other doubleheader, Regis Progray, this 140 pounds. Regis Progray versus Carol Relic and Nonito Donaire, of course, at Bantamweight versus Zolani Titi. That's April 27th. 
They said it's in the United States. They haven't picked a venue yet. The rumor is that it's going to be in Los Angeles. I think that's awesome in Los Angeles. Uh, Nonito Donaire is going to bring the Filipino fans out. I think that uh, any good card, the LA fight fans are so knowledgeable, and it's such a great, great fight scene there. They're going to come out, and they haven't got to see Regis Progre yet. So I think that would be an awesome card in LA. I really hope it winds up there. But World Boxing Super Series had some issues with financials. People weren't getting paid. The first round, people got paid, but then there was issues with securing funding for, because you have to put money down at some of these venues and, and you know, things like that. I won't get into all the business side of it, but you got to have funding up front to confirm uh, fights and to confirm you know, dates, venues, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there was issues securing funding. These semifinal fights were supposed to be scheduled for early this year. That's kind of why the schedule feels a little flat right now. Even though there's a lot of fights happening, they're not all the biggest fights, right? These fights were supposed to basically be happening right now and in March. They're pushed back a few months because of all that funding and everything, but it got taken care of. And basically, what, April, May, and then June, because I think the Dortico's Tabidi fight will be in June as well, three straight months all the semifinal action is going to get wound up. And then we're going to know who the two finalists are in all three of the World Boxing Super Series tournaments for season two. So it's very, very likely that we should get the finals at the end of this year. So I think that's awesome. I think that that really helps the schedule for 2019. I like the World Boxing Super Series. I think they bit off a little more than they could chew this time with three tournaments. And that's why they've had trouble securing funding and everything. I think they should keep it to two tournaments. I think starting next year, that's what they're going to do because it's a lot easier to secure funding because you have four less fighters, you know, uh, one less division and less promoters and everything else to deal with. So um, that's what they'll do going forward. But okay, guys, that's it for news and notes. We got a lot of stuff to review. Let's get into it. Okay. Friday, February 22nd in Ekaterinburg, Russia. I talked about this card a little bit last week. Several Russian prospects, a bunch of them, fought on this card. But there's one I wanted to mention. Evgeny Tyshenko, who improved to 4-0. His career is very, very young. Uh, he's fought, his first few fights were technically at heavyweight. He weighed like, basically he's weighed from, I think, 202 pounds to 213 pounds. He was 202 for this fight. It was technically scheduled as a cruiserweight fight. He's trying to work his way down to cruiserweight. But I bring this kid up because he looks really good. He's six foot five. He's a southpaw, 2016 gold medalist for Russia in the 2016 Olympics, 27 years old, very, very experienced and matured in age, a six foot five cruiserweight. This kid will be ready. Mark my freaking words to fight in the World Boxing Super Series Season 3 tournament if they do cruiserweights again next year. He'll be ready for that tournament. I shit you not. So just wanted to bring him up. Guys, uh, look him up. Look him up and watch some of his stuff on YouTube. Good looking prospect. Crazy height and length if he can stay at cruiserweight for a while. If he's making, he was 202 last week, 27 years old, I think he could fight at cruiserweight for a while. He's got a future in that division. Okay, Saturday, we had a bunch of action. Let's start in Tijuana. Why not? Tijuana's a fun place, right? Saturday, February 23rd, a matchroom card. Eddie Hearn in Tijuana. Crazy. Would you have thought that? 
five years ago. This was on the zone, of course, and in the main event, Humberto Soto improved to 69-9-2 with 37 knockouts. He weighed at 146 and some change for this fight, so this is technically a welterweight fight. Scores a unanimous decision win over Brandon Rios, who falls to 35-5-1 with 26 knockouts. He weighed 151 and some change pounds for this fight. Uh, the scores felt a bit wide. Soto won 119-111, and two judges had it 118-112. And I talked about this on Twitter, because some of you were really, really pissed off about the scorecards. You thought it was a closer fight. Guys, I understand that Rios is Mexican-American, but he's, he's American. He's American first, Mexican second. And I know some of you will disagree with me, but it's true. Soto is Mexican, 100% Mexican, and this fight was in Mexico. So I, I think that maybe he got some favorable judging, but he still won the damn fight. I didn't think the fight was that close, to be honest with you. Some of you guys out there had us a draw. You had, uh, I think a couple of you had Rios winning. We, guys, I don't know what the hell you were seeing. I scored this 116 to 112 for Soto. I thought he clearly won eight rounds in this fight. I gave Rios four rounds, and I thought I was being fairly generous. So, uh, I, yeah, the scores were a bit wide, but the right guy won. Look, I take issue with the wide scorecards. I mean, that one judge who literally gave Rios one round and the other two gave him two rounds, that's a bit too wide. But they weren't that far off from the fight I saw. Anyway, Fort Rios, who has been slurring his speech now for years, he's got what I, what I call the heavy tongue. That's a term I, I just use for guys that start their just their tongue is heavy they don't speak as articulate you know as they used to as articulately i don't know if that's a word um as they used to because just uh the motor skills slow down and for a guy like rios who's in his 30s i think early mid 30s to be slurring a speech and have that heavy tongue already guys when this dude's in his 50s it's going to be hard to understand what he's saying that's sad he doesn't need to fight anymore and for Robert Garcia and all the guys up at that gym who train and work with Rios, shame on them. They need to step in and have a talk with this guy. And I like Robert Garcia a lot, but they need to have a talk with this guy. What the hell, dude? You can't beat Humberto Soto, who hadn't beat a quality fighter in five years or so, started his career as a bantamweight. And I get it, he was a teenager, but he started his career as a bantamweight. Rios is the naturally bigger guy. He's always been a lightweight or bigger. You can't even be that competitive. I mean, he, he was competitive. This was a fun action fight, but you weren't, it, the fight wasn't close in my opinion. Rios needs to walk away. People need to have a serious talk with this guy. I tweeted after this fight, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but a lot of you guys responded to my tweet, but I said um, something to the effect of, when people say boxing has become a gladiator sport, this is the type of fight, Soto Rios, that they are referring to. I'm enjoying it, I'm enjoying the action, but this is the kind of fight they're referring to. So, a lot of you enjoyed that tweet and responded, hell yeah, man, this is an awesome fight, these guys are gladiators. I think you misinterpreted what I was saying. Yes, Rios and Soto are gladiators, they deserve credit. Every damn fighter who gets up in the ring deserves credit. Hell, anybody who's done shit at my level and just gotten up in the ring and sparred 100, 200 rounds in their life deserves some credit. Very minuscule compared to a, a pro fighter, obviously. 
I'm just saying, it takes some balls. And to do what those guys do takes major balls, right? They deserve tremendous credit for putting on the show they put on. They are gladiators. But what I meant by gladiator sport is that let's really, really talk about what that fight was. And a lot of fights like that are. And some of you ain't going to like what I got to say here. All right. This is why the chat feature that we're going to have soon is going to be awesome. Stuff like this. What the hell is boxing really? It's rich, bloated millionaires watching poor people beat the shit out of each other. That's what it is. Now, most of us talking here, diehard fans, we ain't rich, bloated motherfuckers, right? We're regular guys. We're knock around guys from the same types of neighborhoods these fighters are from. But how many of us really, truly wanted to see Brandon Rios take 12 more rounds of punishment? And he took a lot of hard shots from Humberto Soto. I didn't want to see it. I wasn't particularly excited about it. I talked about uh, Omar Figueroa and John Molina a couple weeks ago. That fight was every bit as meaningless as this one. Fun. Fun, right? And I, I think that Soto and Rios, when you look at their careers, much better careers, much more important careers than Figueroa and Molina. And that's why I was more critical of that fight. And that fight was on Fox, like a you know showcase fight. I think it was on Fox. Um, <clears throat> But did we really need to see these two guys fight, particularly Brandon Rios? Did we really need to see him fight and take 12 more rounds of punishment like that? That's what I mean by gladiator sport. Go back to the old Roman times, right? My, my people, right? The history of my people where they would play, take slaves in, from Rome, from different parts of Europe and Africa, the Middle East, wherever. Slave, slavery in the Roman Empire was not racially based in any way. It was geography-based, class-based. But they would take people from different parts of the world and throw them in the Colosseum. And, hey, everyone fight to the death. Rich people, the masses sat in the stands too. But the people that were promoting that, getting rich off it, those people killing each other were rich people. Boxing, there is an element of that in boxing. I say that as a guy who loves this sport. But sometimes I look at fights like that and I look at guys fighting on too long, and I look at the corners that work with them and the commissions that clear them to fight in a year where we've already fucking had people die, and I get a little pissed off about it. That's what I mean by gladiator sport. So I know that's going to piss some of you off, and you're going to downvote this video and unfollow me on Twitter and call me all kinds of names, but that's what I meant by that tweet. And I admitted in the same tweet, I'm enjoying it. So there is a bloodthirsty ghoul in me who does enjoy that shit too. Okay, so um, it's, it's a mixed bag. But that's what I meant by that fight. Also on that card, I talked about this prospect out of Cancun, 25-year-old 2016 Olympian, Josecito Velasquez, improves to 8-0 with 7 knockouts. He's a flyweight, uh, won by TKO5. I failed to mention last week, though, he fought in the World Series of Boxing from 2013 to 2016. So this kid's got a lot of experience. A lot of people are excited about him. They just need to continue to slowly build him, slowly build this kid up. He's going to be ready to contend very soon. Okay, let's go over to London. O2 Arena, ITV box office in the UK. Uh, this was Showtime here in the United States. And Chris Eubank Jr. beats James DeGale. Now, I talked, I previewed this fight last week, obviously, and I talked about the fact that um, 
you know, as far as skills and craft and experience, DeGale is light years better than, than Eubank's ever going to be. Eubank did look improved in this fight. I have to give him credit. But in terms of youth, athleticism, burst and power and explosiveness, Eubank's going to have way more than DeGale ever had. And DeGale's always looked kind of floppy and flimsy to me. And in this fight, he just looked old. It was all he could do to barge in, lunge in, and hold on to Eubank. And Eubank looked frustrated and threw him down a few times. He was docked a point uh, in the 11th round for literally slamming him down into the canvas, right? Um, but scorecards, 115-112, 114-112, way too close. Way too close, way too favorable to the Gale. A third judge had a 117-109. That was the correct score. DeGale was put on his butt in the second and 10th round. And he's just another guy where it's like, dude, if you can't beat this guy who George Groves boxed circles around just, what, a year ago, you need to retire. James DeGale needs to retire. Why fight on? You just had another headlining fight. You made some money. Walk away, dude. You had a good, solid professional career. Walk away. I hope he does. For Eubank, never going to be an elite fighter. Never going to be a, an elite level super middleweight or eventually if he moves up to light heavyweight. But he's a brand. His last name is Eubank. In the UK, that means something. It means a lot among fight fans. So he now has a name on his resume with this clear, decisive victory, really a dominant victory over James DeGale. Yes, it's a faded shop-worn version of DeGale, but good quality name on his resume now. So that helps build his brand. And he's going to get big fights. And a lot of his bigger fights, probably all of them, he's going to be able to get people to come over to the UK to fight him there where he will have advantages. So uh, good for him. He showed improvement in this fight. He's going to be in some bigger fights. He's going to make some more money. He's clearly worked at it and gotten a little more humbled after that fight with Groves because remember this dude was training himself and there's just a lot of arrogance there. So good for him, but at some point, at some point this guy's going to get exposed again. I don't see an elite fighter in the making. Um, okay, also on this card, heavyweight action. Joe Joyce scores a TKO six win over Berman Stavern. Let's talk about Joe Joyce. He gets a win here over his most experienced opponent to date. Did what he was supposed to do. And I like the fact that he took his time. He didn't just go in there, balls out, and try to get Stavern out of there in two rounds. He worked him. And he did loosen up with each round. And eventually got him out of there. Joe Joyce is a huge man. Now, Anthony Joshua is big and, and you know, got guns and he's a big guy. Deontay Wilder's a big guy. But Joe Joyce just seems to have this massiveness to him. I don't know, man. Uh, he, he, maybe it's just because he was next to Stavern. He looks bigger than AJ in Wilder in a certain way, like just a natural. Because you can tell AJ obviously lifts a ton of weights. Wilder lifts weights like a madman. He doesn't do squats, but he lifts a lot of weights. It just looks like Joe Joyce is just like that. Like if he's never picked up a weight in his life, he's just naturally that huge. So there is an advantage to being a massive dude like that. Obviously, you're carrying a lot of weight behind your punch and everything. And he does show some nice improved punch varieties, but work with Abel Sanchez up in Big Bear, Cali. 
But this dude is slow. He is the stereotype. When people used to think really big heavyweights, like over 6'4", 6'5", they thought of lumbering, slow, robotic, right? The Klitschko's, especially Vitali, he was um, criticized and accused of that early on. And I think he proved a lot of people wrong that he wasn't like that. But uh, that's the stereotype, right? Joe Joyce lives up to that. He's not quite as bad as some other guys we've seen. Just really slow. And it's not just that his hands move slow. It's that he's very stiff. Everything is rigid and tight. There's no movement in his spine. There's no movement in his shoulders. There's no, there's no rolling. There's no head movement. There's nothing. There's none, none of that. It's just here and punch, punch, punch. And he's so damn big that the punches have massive leverage on them. But if you have an ounce of defensive ability and if you're in shape and you can time that shit and, and block it, roll with it, whatever, he's a counterpunch knockout waiting to happen. Now, I say all that. The dude has how many fights so far? I think seven pro fights or something like that. He, he deserves time to build himself up. This was for the WBA something or other title. So he's going to eventually be in line to fight for the WBA full version of the heavyweight title. If I'm Abel Sanchez and Team Joyce, I'm slowing that shit down. I'm slowing that down for two or three years. Seriously. What does Joe Joyce want? Does he want to be the best fighter he can be? Or does he want to make a lot of money? If he wants to make a lot of money, go ahead and do the championship fight. See what happens. Throw spaghetti at the wall. See what sticks. If he wants to be the best fighter he can be, take your damn time. Pull an Alexander Povetkin, who wasn't ready for Vladimir Klitschko, and he was originally his mandatory. He was never going to be ready for Vladimir Klitschko because he was just on a different stratosphere of fighter uh, Povetkin was good, still is a solid top 10 heavyweight, but was never an elite, you know, all-time great level like Klitschko. But it was smart. I think Teddy Atlas was training Povetkin at the time that they pulled out. I think it was the IBF. He was, I think it was the IBF he was the mandatory for. And they said, we're not ready for Klitschko. And they pulled out, and it was smart. And by the time he finally fought Klitschko, he was as ready as he was ever going to be. If you were Joe Joyce, man, pull the, pump the brakes. I don't even think he's ready for a, a legitimate top 10 guy quite yet because Stavern isn't. I don't even know if Stavern's in the top 50 right now, to be honest with you. Just the shape. That guy weighed 273 pounds. I mean, you talk about bitch tits. This guy had back titties. So for Joyce, man, just build it up slow. Work on shit in the gym and just work on loosening that dude's back. I feel like he needs to have one of those, like, uh, what kind of massage is that where the girls walk on your back? That's what that dude needs. He needs to break up all that shit back here. He's just way too damn stiff. Also on this card, Lee Selby. He scores a unanimous decision in a 12-rounder. This was his first bout at lightweight. He skipped over 130 pounds. Remember, his last fight, was, or his whole career really, was at 126. He was a featherweight. This is his return from his first professional loss against Josh Warrington. He skipped two weight classes. He you know, jumped up to 135, looked pretty good, gets a W back in the wing column. Okay, one more card to review, guys. Uh, Minneapolis Armory, Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is PBC on Fox Sports 1. And after a night of just really what turned out to be kind of one-sided, mismatchy kind of fights, even though they looked, some of them looked very competitive on paper, 
all the fights I just talked about, a lot of them ended up being one-sided, all right? This main event on this PBC on Fox Sports 1 card turned out to be a lot of fun and more competitive than a lot of us thought it was going to be. So they kind of won fight of the night, PBC did, man. Uh, Anthony Durrell and Avni Yildirim, 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 uh, put on a good show. And it sucks the way the fight ended, but I'm surprised that Yildirim was as competitive as he was. Now, okay, a couple things to talk about. First of all, let's get the basics out of the way. So Durrell improves to 33-1 and with 24 knockouts, wins the vacant WBC super middleweight title. That was the title that David Benavidez had, but he kind of, you know, blew it, if you will. <laughs> so that's not his title anymore. Um, Durrell was cut in the seventh round by a headbutt. There was a second headbutt, I think, in the tenth round. Judges cut, or judges, the fight doctor stopped it. On the advice of the fight doctor, the fight gets stopped. And they go to the scorecards. They scored the 10th round, which was not completed. Two judges had it 96-94 for Anthony Durrell, which is the exact same score I had. Six rounds to four after 10 rounds. And uh, German judge Jürgen Longos scored it 98-92 for Yildirim. That means he, he scored it eight rounds to two for the Turkish fighter. Now, I looked this guy up. I think he's scored Yildirim's last three or four fights. Yildirim's Turkish, lives in Turkey and everything, but he fights out of Germany a lot. He's based out of Germany a lot. And his German judge has scored a lot of his fights. Really, this dude needs to be looked into. What fight was he seeing? I did not see Yildirim win this fight. I saw Darrell clearly win. It was close. I had it even after eight rounds. But what I saw, guys... Um, was Durrell by about the ninth and then the tenth round start to kind of find a rhythm in the second half of the fight? Maybe you, you could make an argument Yildirim was ahead halfway through. You could make that argument. I think I had it even halfway through. But Durrell found his rhythm and started to, it wasn't coasting, it wasn't easy. And he was, Yildirim was having moments, mostly because Durrell would have these just lapses in activity and kind of let him in and let him get off. But um, I thought that he was going to win the 11th and 12th round. That's what I saw. I thought he had kind of found his, his rhythm and his way, and he was going to win the rest of the rounds and, and win a eight rounds to four scorecard, 116-112, in my opinion. That's what I saw happening. Now, it's boxing. You never know. Yildirim could have landed a huge shot that changed the fight. You, you just don't know. I, I get it. But I think by then, uh, Durrell, again, in a rhythm, defensively, saw everything coming, and that's why he kind of let the guy get off. It was kind of dumb because he let him score, and they, you know, kind of gave some rounds away. Yildirim did look improved from his uh, blowout loss to Chris Eubank Jr., of all people, a while back. But, um, yeah, Yildirim's still very basic, and another guy who's just really tight. One of the first things, like when I work with somebody and just teach them the little bit I do know about boxing, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means, but I do have some experience. Uh, I see a lot of people just real tight. Their shoulders are, everything's real tight. When you, when you punch like that, number one, you get injured. But number two, everything, you can tele, you telegraph everything. First thing I tell dudes is loosen up your shoulders, man. Just loosen up. Yildirim could, could do a lot better if he'd just loosen up a little bit and flow with his punches. It's like dancing. It should feel, it should feel like dancing. Right? It shouldn't feel so rigid. <laughs> it's, you're not doing deadlifts, dude. You're not powerlifting. You're dancing. That's what it's supposed to be. So anyway, 
That's what I saw. So when the fight was stopped in the 10th round, at first, I was like, oh, shit. This cut ain't that bad. I've seen far worse cuts. We just saw Badu Jack fight with blood streaming all, all over his face. It looked like that movie Carrie, which a lot of you young guys have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, you, you might know the remake, which was horrible. But uh, yeah, that, you know, we've seen way worse cuts and the fight continued, at least for a round, where the, where the ref or the ring doctor would say, dude, you got one round. I'm giving you one round. The next big punch that lands on there, you're, you're done. I've seen refs do that. I've seen fight doctors do that. This, it just looked like immediately like, no, that's it. So at first I bitched on Twitter, but then I saw some of the photos from some of the, you know, I don't trust just shit on Twitter or whatever. Actual photos from, from the press releases that came out from ringside photographers, you know, that are literally right on the ring shooting up at the cut. And it was, it was bad. It was a really nasty gash. I saw some. I saw him getting stitches. I saw a video of Darrell getting stitches. It was a bad cut. And the fight being stopped when it was, I'm cool with it. Now, I told you guys before, I didn't like the open scoring. Darrell and his team knew if the fight was stopped, they had the fight in the bag. Maybe that's why he did kind of lay off a couple times later in the fight and just kind of lay on the ropes and let Yildirim punch and score points at different points because he knew he was ahead. Uh, but do I think they gamed the system or this was some master you know, power play, some mental Jedi mind trick to get the ring doctor to stop the fight? No, he had a really shitty cut. So it is what it is, you know, and sometimes your gut reaction is, oh, shit, man, this was a good fight. This is the best fight of the night. Why are you stopping it? Then you start to look and you do, you know, you just do five minutes of research. You, you calm down. You, you see all the photos and videos coming in and then you realize, yeah, that was a good stoppage. Now, real quick, let's talk about um, the Durrell brothers. I just wanted to mention this and I talked about this on Twitter too. Andre Durrell was always seen as the better of the Durrell brothers and he's the more athletic guy, the naturally more gifted guy, the more powerful puncher. But it's Anthony who has carved out a better career. He is now a two-time WBC super middleweight world champion. Now, you look at who he beat to win those titles. It wasn't Murderer's Row. I think he beat Saki Obika the first time. And I talked about that last week. I was at that fight. It was awful. One of the worst title fights I've ever seen. And then he beat Yildirim in a very good fight, a fun fight. Not great, but a good solid scrap. Uh, that ended strangely. Every Durrell fight has to end strange. There has to be some kind of controversy, right, with the, the, the Durrell brothers. But technically speaking, a two-time world titleist, Andre never held more than an interim version of a title. You can make an argument that he should have got the decision over Carl Frotch when they fought for a version of the title back in a, a world boxing super series. No, wait. <laughs> Am I mixing up my tournaments? Um, you guys know I'm talking, the 168-pound tournament Showtime did. I can't think the name escapes me right now. But um, a lot of people felt he won that fight. I felt he gave that fight away. I felt he played it too damn safe, and that's the way Andre's whole career was. He had bad luck against Arthur Abraham, who he dominated. Arthur Abraham took a cheap shot that did affect his health. So it's unfair to just bash Andre. But I think Anthony Durrell has carved out a better career, and good for him is a guy that was seen as an afterthought. You know what I'm saying? It's like you look at, uh, you know, the Cotto brothers, Miguel 
is the real one, right? You look at uh, the, Can the, the Canelo brothers, the Alvarez brothers. Canelo's the real one. All the other brothers are afterthoughts. That's how a lot of people saw Anthony Durrell. And he's carved out this career now where he's got a couple world titles. It's very possible he's going to unify with, I believe, the IBF titleist uh, Plant, Caleb Plant, who was doing some guest commentary on this card late this year. If PBC was smart, they'd have a unification between Durrell and Plant in Nashville, Tennessee. No Barclays, no Vegas, Nashville, Tennessee. That's where that fight needs to go. Or Flint, Michigan, but I think Nashville would be a better choice. Uh, better market, and they're, they're hungry for boxing there. I talk to people. A lot of you, there's some of you guys who, on Twitter who follow me are in Nashville, and you have gyms, and you talk about this stuff. I think a plant Durrell unification, it's a, good it's a good, fun fight, good, interesting style matchup. In Nashville, it makes sense. So I think Durrell's going to lose that fight. I think Plant's going to beat him, I think, fairly decisively. But he's going to get paid well. Good for him, man. All right, guys, that is it for the review. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. Tuesday, February 26th in Tokyo, Wantanabe Promotions has a 105-pound uh, title fight. Vic Celudar of the Philippines defending his WBO strawweight title for the first time against Japanese fighter Masataka Taniguchi. I love those Japanese names. They're just fun to say. Uh, but Tuesday night action over in Japan. So if you can find a stream of that, check it out. Those J Japanese cards are always fun, man. And then we got some fights on Thursday in Washington State. Roy Jones Jr. Promotions. This is on UFC Fight Pass. Guys, I have no idea what the hell UFC Fight Pass is. If any of you know, please let me know because I have no idea what the hell that is. But uh, Dallas Prospect... Uh, featherweight prospect Ray Jimenez Jr., who's 18-1, going up against uh, Mexican fighter Luis Alberto Lopez, who is making his first fight outside of Mexico. You usually know what that means. So uh, that's a 10-round featherweight fight on UFC Fight Pass. And then Friday, we have a bunch of action as well. A Telemundo card in Hollywood, Florida. Mexican bantamweight prospect Ricardo Espinoza, Franco, and Puerto Rican welterweight prospect Derek Cuevas, they both headline in 10-rounders on that card. In Thailand, we have another 105-pound title fight. Wanhang Manyalothan, or TBE, who's 52-0 with 18 knockouts. The best fighter ever. Better than Floyd Mayweather. Better than Rocky Marciano. Better than Spenacht. Better than Joe Calzaghe. Better than all of them. Going up against... Tatsuya Fukuhara out of Japan, obviously, who is 21, 6, and 6. Now, compared to Manyalothan's last few opponents, this Fukuhara guy looks pretty legit because he has a winning record. I looked into his record. The shit I took this morning with my morning coffee is probably more worthwhile than <laughs> this guy's record. So, obviously... TBE is going to get win number 53 in this fight. This will be the 11th defense of his WBC minimum weight title, straw weight title, whatever the hell you want to call it, you know, oxygen weight title. Um, yeah. So these two already fought in November of 2017. Manulothan won clearly. There is zero reason for a rematch. They both have extremely padded records. 
Why does the WBC allow this to happen? Because money. They're getting that Thailand sanctioning fee money. And TBE is going to get number 53 on Friday. All right, Saturday. Over in uh, Germany, I believe this. I believe it's in Germany. Undefeated German heavyweight Ajit Kabayel, who is 18-0 with 13 knockouts, six foot three, usually weighs in the mid 230s, upper 230s. Uh, former kickboxer that you know is getting some attention. Anytime you have a heavyweight undefeated coming up, gonna get attention. Going up against Ukrainian veteran Andrei Rudenko. So this is going to be the biggest test of his young career. It'll be very, very interesting to see what he could do against the Ukrainian guy who's been in there with some good fighters, knows how to handle himself. So if this dude has anything legit to him, he should beat this guy. We'll see. In Peterborough, England, on the zone, a UK uh, featherweight prospect, Jordan Gill, who is 22-0. He's headlining for the first time. So there's a little bit of pressure on him. You know, he's headlining for the first time on a card like this. A good-looking prospect. And a bunch of other prospects on that card. This is one of those uh, cards, kind of like that Russian card I talked about last week, where you just got a bunch of young guys fighting, staying busy. Maybe they got five fights, eight fights, you know, something like that. Now this kid, Gill, 22-0. So, you know... He's getting ready to contend pretty soon. But the zone, you get to see all those fights. You can see some of these young guys. You can judge for yourself how ready they are if they're uh, possible contenders or pretenders. At Barclays in Brooklyn on Showtime, there's a card from DeBella Entertainment and TGB Promotions. And in the main event, this is what one of you guys was asking me about on Twitter earlier. Brian Carlos Castaño, 15-0 out of Argentina, going up against Irislandi Lara in the main event. This will be the second defense of his WBA junior middleweight title. Now, if you haven't heard of Castaño, don't feel bad. I didn't even know this guy had a title. I had heard of him, but I, I didn't even know he had a damn title. And this will be the second defense, so he's already defended it. You look at this guy's record and who he fought. Holy shit. It makes Menyalothan's resume look impressive. Of course, Lara is coming off that loss to Jarrett Hurd last April, so he's been out almost a year. Normally, I don't like that, but that's kind of the way PBC goes most of the time. And for Lara, older guy, that was a tough fight where he took a lot of punches from a much bigger, younger physical fighter in Hurd. I like the layoff. I like what, 10 months or so out of the ring. I think it's going to help him in this fight. Castaño beat French fighter Cedric Vitu for the full version of the title. I have no idea who the hell that is. If you haven't heard of him, don't feel bad because I don't know who he is either. That's who he beat to win this WBA title. Now, I just kind of bashed the WBC a little bit, but let me be clear about it. The WBC is like amazing compared to the WBA. The WBA is absolute dog shit. And what I just said kind of proves it, right? So anyway, Castaño making a big leap in opposition in regards to his professional career. We'll find out what he's made of. Because Irislandi Lara was competitive against Jarrett Hurd, who is the best 154-pounder on the planet. I don't care what the fuck Mike Coppinger says. And Jarrett Hurd would beat most 160-pounders on the planet. Maybe even some 168-pounders. All in the top 10. And for Lara to be competitive with him, uh, Lara is just a good fighter, good, skilled, veteran opponent. This Castaño dude, we're going to find out if there's anything to him. 
because if he's a he's going to get exposed if he's anything less than I'd say B level he's going to get exposed we'll find out to be honest with you guys I don't know you put a gun to my head and ask me who's going to win this fight Castanio and his people why are they going up against Lara they must think he's ready so I favor him by decision Lara is old but you just never know until these guys fight. That's why they fight the fights. Also on this card, Luis Ortiz fighting German-Romanian Christian Hammer. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a fun fight, but it's pretty much going to be Luis Ortiz beating the shit out of another European dude. Also, Columbus, Ohio. There's a card that's going to be streamed on live.dbe1.com. Let me repeat that. Live, L-I-V-E, dot dbe1.com. And this card has a bunch of heavyweight prospects. A couple from New Zealand. Uh, Junior Fa, who you guys have seen before, heard of before, I'm sure. 16-0. And also uh, Hemi Ahio. Hemi Ahio, 12-0. They're both out of New Zealand. And then we got some American heavyweights. Uh, Stephen Shaw, who's a uh, St. Louis-based heavyweight. 6 foot 4 10-0. And George Arias, who's out of the Bronx, of course. 12-0 are fighting on that card. So that's it for this week, guys. Um, if everything went well on this mock pilot version of the live stream here, hopefully I'll be loading this up very, very soon. If everything goes well, we're starting live next week. So just remember, guys, and I'll talk about this on Twitter and everything, and I'll do a little preview video on YouTube beforehand, but it's going to be Mondays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. You can get in on YouTube and chat with me. As we build out the studio and get everything going, that's going to take months, okay? That's probably like toward the end of the year, all right? We're going to get the phone thing going. And then we're going to have a full-fledged, straight-up boxing show. No boxing show right now is going to have all the things we're going to bring you guys. Some places you get the phone calls. Some places you get the podcast. Some places you get the guest. We're going to have all of it. All right, so it's coming all down the line, guys. I hope you enjoyed TNC 160. Spread the word about the show, about the channel. I'll see you at the fights.